The mother put the porcelain spoon. The mother drew back and poured the little girl back. But the mother did not hear the old voice. The mother. Experience the heartwarming story of a mother's love that knows no bounds, titled The Mother, written by Nobel Prize-winning author Pearl S. Buck. It's a story of love, sacrifice, and the universalism of motherhood that transcends race and borders, told through an account of an unnamed mother living in rural China in the early 20th century. Get the audiobook right now at radio.cgtn.com or any major podcast platform. Simply search for the Books and Beyond podcast and key in the mother. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable. Coming to you from Beijing, I'm He Yang. Good as always to have you join us. As China's population rapidly ages, the country faces a severe shortage of health and social care workers. Now, shall we bet on platoons of AI-enabled robots to bridge the gap? Well, it's already happening, and we always look forward to having a heart-to-heart -heart with you. If you have a question that you'd like us to answer, or you have Something you want to say to us? Please send your voice memo or email over to ezfmroundtable@foxmail.com. Your voice could be featured in our heart-to-heart -heart segment. For today's program, I'm joined by Li Yi in the studio and Josh Cotterell on the line. First on today's show, as Chinese society undergoes a major demographic shift with. A rapidly aging population requiring support and care. Innovative solutions have emerged to address their needs and promote their quality of life. Welcome to elderly care in the 2020s. AI robots, alongside other technologies, are revolutionizing the field in China. AI here means artificial intelligence technology that incorporates systems that use data to make decisions. Increasingly economical sensors. Collect many terabytes of data, which is then analyzed by computer scripts known as algorithms to infer actions or patterns in activities of daily living and detect if things might be off. So let's take a look at the latest. AI-enabled robots are already put to use in senior care centers as helpers in China. What do the robots do? Of course, we do have an example in Shanghai, which shows how AI robots are being used in senior care centers as helpers. So this is a local senior care center located in Beijing Subdistrict in Shanghai, and obviously the region is heavily aged. I mean, more than forty percent of the population is over sixty years old, and more importantly, most of the center's residents have dementia and are in their mid seventies or older. So that means it can be really challenging to take care of these elderly people, both for local families and staff in this senior care center. So to deal with That stress, the center has been installing as much smart technology as they can. One example would be introducing a singing robot named Doorbell, and this machine is really a squat-wide companion robot. It can perform for the elderly residents and usually playing songs that they really really love. And more importantly, besides you know offering joy and laughter for those senior people who are living in the senior care center, it actually gives the staff a much needed break because, according to the center's director, 
the number of elderly grows. However, care resources don't really keep up. So they think that smart machines is quite uh, in the need to reduce people's workload. And besides, you know, this kind of AI robots, the care center has been installing other technologies, uh, for example, smart mattresses that monitor the residents' vital signs as they sleep, as well as some gaming machines. However, it's not really something new because we've seen some examples like introducing robots in those nursing homes or senior care centers besides Shanghai, for example, like cities in Beijing and Hangzhou. For example, in 2016, five intelligent robots were introduced to the Hangzhou City Social Welfare Center in East China's Zhejiang province. And these robots they are similar to a two or three year old human, you know, looking from their appearance, and they are capable of working up to seven two hours on a full charge, and they can really control it by mobile phone app or touch screens. More importantly, they can really remind patients, those elderly people, to take their medicines. Because according to the local chief staff, older people, they can really often forget to take their medicine or they even take it twice or even third time. So with these kind of robots, they can really you know, be told to take medicine if they are in the time to take them. So you see, you know, this kind of AI robots are being used in some senior care centers, nursing homes in a bunch of cities. And uh, I think that quite makes sense because China is really facing an aging population. I think that's the issue we are discussing today also. Yeah, it's so funny when you say that, oh, these robots remind people to take medicine mm -hmm. or sing to them and also make uh, video calls, virtual consultations or watch television. It's like you would never put in the same sentence that a person would be the medium for you to watch television, but the robot can do that as well. So multi-talented and functional by the sound of it. Josh, um, you've done some research in this area in China and around the world. What have you seen as sort of the focal point of people's attention when it comes to AI and robots in this area of elderly care? I think the main focal point, as you asked me here with AI assistance and specifically robotic assistance with health care for elderly people, I think it often comes down to assistance with daily tasks. But this is actually quite difficult. I think this is probably the most difficult thing for robots to help with because our daily tasks are actually our most intimate tasks. Things like cleaning and cooking, washing clothes, all the things in the home. Uh, this is actually not really the most easy environment for a robot to easily assimilate to and fit into, right? Um, I think this is just because it requires the robot to be so personally involved with you and your being and your movements, right? Compared to, for example, AI and robots helping with the monitoring of healthcare systems in hospitals, um, the processing of data and things like this, right? We can see how this, this is already happening, right? Mm. Um, and also things like cognitive assistance in hospitals, um, AI powered technologies like virtual assistants are already there. But when it comes to those daily tasks in the home, which is really what elderly people need the most assistance with, this is actually quite difficult. But there are companies around the world that are doing things to deal with this. I can give you a couple of examples. Um, one of the most well-known companies internationally is actually Intuition Robotics. And this is an Israeli company. This, this robotics company developed a social robot named LEQ. 
And, and this is designed to provide companionship. Um, a lot of the robots actually, unsurprisingly, are there to companionship, which is one of the, if not the biggest issue that elderly people deal with, um, at least in my part of the world. Um, and also in my own country, there's a company called Turnstall Healthcare, and this utilizes AI-enabled sensors and monitoring systems to support independent living. Um, this is things like fall detection. Um, so if somebody has a bad fall, the robot can then call the emergency services quickly or call um, you know, somebody's member, family member, whatever, medication reminders, um, remote monitoring, and things like this. So these, these examples really demonstrate the potential benefits of AI and robotics um, in the home. Yeah, I especially. think, yes, um, these can be at least put into two major categories of tasks. One's more concerned of the mental well-being, you know, like the communication, companionship kind of thing. And the other is more like physical assistance, which is still really difficult because um, once you've got a robot yeah. in the room, like how can you make sure that the robot is not intruding, is not running people over or any of that stuff and is actually physically assisting the person in need? And that is one area I don't think we're quite there yet, but there are so many different things that... Um, AI, as well as robotics, can help out. And some of the examples that we've been giving, I don't necessarily think that they are AI per se. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's just, you know, start smart technology of robotics. So, you know, these things are all kind of uh, in action being used in this field. And Li Yi, why do you think that deploying robots and AI and all these new technologies in elderly care in our country is this important? I would say among a lot of issues, the most depressing one would be China is facing an aging population. And that is not a unique trouble for China. I think many countries are faced with this kind of aging population. I mean, if you look at China's recent demographic landscape, there were 280 million people aged 60 and above in China at the end of 2022. And that accounts for nearly 20% of the entire population. And more importantly, that figure is expected to exceed 300 million by 2025. And I remember by that time, that would mean 20% of the entire population. And by 2035, that's 30% of the population aged 60 and above. And meantime, you know, China's overall life expectancy, which is a key indicator of the health level of a country's residents, keeps rising. I mean, from uh, 1949 to now, that number has more than doubled. And I think recent data shows that the average life expectancy reached 78.2 years in China in 2021. And meantime, that number will only keep growing. On the one hand, I think it's not, as I said, it's not the unique problem that China is facing right now. After all, we've known that We've acknowledged that there's a documented negative correlation between per capita income and also the fertility rates. That means when a country becomes richer, you should expect you know, fewer births per woman. And meantime, higher per capita incomes are also associated with greater uh, life expectancy. But the thing is that you know, these two things are really 
posing new challenges for elder care sector because as people live longer, that means they are more likely to develop like chronic health conditions, and they and in the end they would just require long term medical care. So that just means an increased demand for healthcare with an aging population. And meantime, as the population ages, the ratio of caregivers also decreases. So that means you know the responsibility of taking care of those elderly people or senior people would just fall on a smaller group of family members or a smaller number of, of professional caregivers.、Mm-hmm. So that can just lead to caregiver burnout or more stress. And of course, you know, limited elder care resources is not really good for the well-being of elderly people. Yes, and let me just offer a footnote to what you just said. The biggest issue in this country when it comes to elderly care. Is a lack of care staff. According to China's national standards, there should be one care worker for every four residents inside senior care facilities. But there are currently only three hundred and twenty thousand carers serving the country's eight point one million care home residents, and that's a shortfall of over one point seven million. So it's a big. Hole that we need to fill, and we are seeing that there is a shortage in elderly care facilities as well as overall care services in this country. And yeah, so Josh, offer us the international situation as a comparison here.、Um, there are some of these similar issues that also arises for various countries out there. Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of these issues are pretty universal, right?、Um, I mean, definitely there are differences.、Uh, the issues that elderly people struggle with are definitely different in different parts of the world, especially I think when it comes to things like、um, loneliness and companionship. We've discussed this quite a few times on the show, actually, but this is a massive. Is actually the biggest issue in my own country and in many Western countries is the lack of companionship. For elderly people, so consequently, there's quite a lot more investment when it comes to robotics and AI in dealing with that issue specifically.、Um, so,、uh, yeah, in the UK, I, I gave you an example already, but there's there's another company called Alcove, and this is like a smart home monitoring system. It uses sensors again. To detect falls and stuff, and actually they've demonstrated a 37% reduction in hospital admissions and a 42% reduction in the need for care home admissions. This is according to their own company data, and so of course we have to take all of these statistics with a pinch of salt. I imagine that installing Alcove in your home isn't particularly cheap either.、Um, so, and I think that's another thing we have to consider when we consider all of these new robotics and AI. Who can actually afford them, and when will they become? Um, usable by the mass public, I, I'm not sure. I still think we're in the early stages, especially when it comes to robots in the home. But yeah,、uh, it's being used, and、um, these companies are booming right now. I would say in in the in the outside of China. Right.、Um, if it's to address the loneliness issue or just the lack of someone to talk to, by the sound of it, I have like really cheap replacements. That already exist, like Siri,、uh-huh. Alexa, a lot of these、uh, voice assistants or ChatGPT.、Mm. If it has an audio version, then I would think you know just having some of these quote unquote conversations with 
technology as a helper here, then it, it doesn't sound to be that expensive. It just seems like there are cheaper options out yeah. there. Yeah. Just, yeah, I know. You know, yeah. I, I kind of have similar doubts here because I know, you know, those robust companies and also senior care centers, they have been advocating that, you know, robots can be used as a companionship for senior people. I mean, they can really sing song, uh, play songs and help them like make, make video calls and even like play movies and play games. But I really think that we only make elder people feel even more isolated and lonely, you know, when you have to face like a human like robot. And uh, I think maybe things would be better if robots are really designed in a very vivid way, in a very 100% like human like way. See, or I would feel yeah. like it only worsens the problem, you know. That's interesting, because if it's too real, then we will, I can just see us having an argument or a discussion on Roundtable about, oh, now the robot is sucking our souls away and uh, falling in love with a robot, that kind of thing. And that's like, no good. But and also we might enter the um, uncanny valley issue of things and then we're freaked out. But on the other hand, when they're not that good and we're like, yeah, they're not mm. really addressing our emotional needs. And either way, you can't win. <laughs> Well, it's a really interesting conversation, actually, because I think to some degree, I agree with the idea that, yeah, it's not really the best solution for companionship issues or loneliness. Of course, the best solution would be to have real people around you who visit you all the time. But I feel as though whenever we talk about elderly people, we always I feel like it's always a little there's always a, a little bit of patronizing going on in that. It's actually their decision and we have access to this kind of technology as I would say all of us here right now are not yet elderly, right? We're still working full time at least. And we know that this AI technology, these chat, these very advanced chatbots exist and nobody's talking really about whether or not we should have access to them. But we're always talking about whether basically we should allow elderly people to have them. It sounds a little bit like that to me. And I think that yeah, there's a lot of dangers to this. Getting emotionally involved with AI with a chatbot is very real. Um, mm. And it's happening right now before our eyes. We all know it, right? And I guess that when we think about elderly people, we think about our elders and that worries us. It, it seems a bit sad, right, that they could rely on it. But I don't know really where I, where I stand with this because I, I think that, first of all, these emotional support robots are better than Siri and these chatbots. They're specifically designed for elderly people who may not be as tech savvy. Um, there's a physical presence there often, which sort of um, embodies more emotional support. And I think that elderly people should be able to make their own decision whether they want to use them or not. And yeah, yeah. that's my opinion on it, really. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because we all need to have that agency in making these are important decisions, often Think about the amount of data you are giving away. And also the word monitoring is just freaky sometimes. Um, so the person who's enjoying or being serviced here should definitely give consent before this thing can be deployed in one's home or in a senior care facility as such. And when we look at the China market, well, this is not just China and around the world. So many companies are betting on age 
tech and how big is the market here presumably in china yes i think you know the chinese government actually has been promoting this smart elderly care concept since 2012 and now if you look at the current market it's reported that china's smart elderly care industries have a market value of 3.2 trillion yuan in the year of 2019 and research suggests that the number has exceeded 4 trillion yuan now. So it's a potential market, according to insiders, and particularly when you're seeing that a few you know, major tech companies, they're really uh, making their efforts to design different kinds of senior care robots among a string of products, for example, iFlight Tech iFlight Tech is a major artificial intelligence firm. It released its Ultra Brain 2030 plan in 2022, which focused on developing new kinds of senior care robots and mainly focusing on providing emotional companionship, health management. And also Baidu, the Chinese searching engine company, has also been promoting its Xiaodu smart displays, which seniors can use to make doctor's appointments, access weather reports, and play games. And also, besides the robot market, we've already seen a bunch of wearable devices being used in the elder care sector, for example, like smart bracelets and watches, and they can just provide a number of very useful functions, for example, monitoring seniors' vital signs, remembering, reminding users to take their medicine on time, and, and also tracking their locations. So I think we've seen some achievements currently in the smart healthcare or elder care sector in China. However, I think we are facing certain challenges. For example, some companies are still struggling with the research and development process due to a lack of budget. And they are also calling for, you know, more subsidies coming from local governments and maybe central government as well. Mm -hmm. And also most companies have not really achieved mass production because actually the, the robots they're selling are pretty much expensive. Yeah. For example, if you look at a, a local company in Hangzhou, they are selling a food delivery robot. The selling price is about 60,000 to 80,000 yuan. That's about 8,400 to 11,200 US dollars. That's pretty expensive because I actually make a comparison because in 2022, the average annual disposable income of residents in Beijing is over 77,000 yuan. So that means if you want to buy a robot like this, it will just cost you an annual income. So you can see that actually very few families or even nursing homes can really afford to buy this kind of robots. And of course, even if those senior care centers can afford to buy these robots, maybe one or two, their prices of services they're offering can also be higher. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if more people are using these technologies, and if the technology matures a lot more in the future, then we could possibly see the cost reduced a bit. And also companies in China sometimes have the tendency to see that, oh, there's one growth point, mm -hmm. a chance to make a buck, and then they all go yes. for it. And then Actually, that uh, is no good for the development of technology, and also it would be it'd be worthwhile to strive for more specific, targeted 
technologies designed for certain age groups within the uh, elderly population and the specific needs of people. But that also requires a lot of funding ahead of time to go into the field, which could be another challenge. But all in all, the future of smart elder care technology and the market as such still seems to be promising. Josh, do you share this kind of outlook? Yeah, I I think that it is very promising. And we can look at several statistics that support that it is. Um, in my in my own country, according to a report by Age UK, implementing digital technology like AI and robotics um, has been found that it can potentially save the UK healthcare system around three billion pounds. That's about four point two billion US dollars per year by twenty thirty. So this is another point that we haven't really discussed so much is about how this technology it not only helps elderly people but it takes a lot of pressure off or could potentially take a lot of pressure off healthcare systems as well. Um, And so I think this is a a major reason why it does have a future um, and why it's getting so much investment right now and specifically hospitals and meaning that less people actually have to physically go to the hospital. uh, It's going to be really important for healthcare systems uh, around the world. So that would mean uh, humans can carry out the truly necessary tasks that only we can do. And a lot of the other stuff you can just let robots do. That sounds to be pretty promising. And also with this kind of technology being wider used, then it could possibly keep our seniors in their own homes and living independently a bit longer. And that so improves the quality of living once one is... um in their golden years. You're listening to Roundtable. Coming up next, more people embrace the healing power of trees. What's that about? Stick around, everybody. We'll be back after this break. D-Dive, a podcast of CGT Radio. Go beyond headlines with reporters from around the world. Search for Deep Dive on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Take a deep dive into the news every week. Hear our conversations. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. You're listening to Roundtable with myself, He Young. I'm joined by Li Yi in the studio and Josh Cotterell on the line. Coming up, tree hugging is given new meaning in China. Instead of a slightly derogatory term referred to extreme environmentalists, tree hugging has become a sought-after way to relieve stress. And we'll have a heart-to-heart with you. You bring the questions and we provide the answers. You can get your question on the show by sending a voice memo or email to ezfmroundtable at foxmail.com. Your voice could be featured in the show in our heart-to-heart segment. Our podcast listeners can find us at Roundtable China on Apple Podcast. Now on Roundtable, as we continue today's discussion. In today's fast-paced and demanding world, for a lot of us, stress has become an ever-present companion in our lives, whether it is the stress from work, personal relationships, or the constant influx of information, finding effective ways to manage 
manage stress has become a priority for many people. While young people have made news by heading to temples to find solace, some are turning to trees. Well, it's not necessarily the tree bumping exercise that you might have seen in parks where the elder folks hit the tree with their back for a natural massage. This is literally hugging trees. What's going on, Li? Yeah, it seems that you know the behavior or the act of hugging trees has become a real thing here in China, especially among young people. And recently, a female online user who goes by the name Qi Shu Shu Qi has gone viral on social media platform after sharing her passion of hugging trees. Her post has received over two hundred thousand views and five thousand likes on a lifestyle sharing platform.、Um, so basically, she revealed that、um, what took her to the tree was an article she had previously read about. The healing effects of trees. And one night in April, she and her husband were having a wander along the street in the city、uh, when she was a little bit tipsy. And then she just hugged a tree on an empty street for the first time. And then it turns out it was a superb first experience because that just motivated her to look for more trees to cuddle. According to this female online user. Uh, the feeling of hugging tree was quite relaxing, and、uh, she feels like it helped relieve the burdens she was carrying when she was hugging the trees. She felt relaxed, healed after embracing a tree more than a thousand years old in a forest park in Shanghai, and also. A very magical thing would be she suffered from ringing in ears due to work stress previously, and after tree hugging, that symptom just magically disappeared. So I guess、um, it's because the hugging, the tree really helped to relieve the stress. For her, and meantime, there's another woman born in the 1990s from Hangzhou. She goes to the West Lake and hugs trees for 10 minutes every day. And this lady used to work in the city of Beijing and had no particularly feeling for trees. Later, she moved to Hangzhou, and since then, having a walk around the West Lake has become a routine. You know. Also, her way of reducing stress. So for her, like hugging trees was accidental. At first, she just passed by and touched trees, and later she found she found out that hugging trees can really be a new way of recreation. So she also advocates this kind of tree hugging as a therapy for those people who suffer from stress or anxiety. Well, something magical is going on, and I found this little detail about the second lady that Li Yi was referring to—that she's even so-called found out her own methodology about this. Yes. Yeah, do you want to say it? Yes, she, you know, she kind of considers this tree hugging as a method of of meditation. You know, she even has her own way of hugging the trees.、Uh, she says you have to point your forehead against the tree and also press a very special acupoint called Lao Gong on the palm and to the tree, and then you just feel the energy, you know, of the tree flowing into your body, so you feel energized in that way. That's quite interesting, isn't it? And that acupoint Lao Gong does not mean husband. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's more like,、um, okay, this acupuncture point is like the palace of labor. That sounds just exhausting. No wonder she needs to press on that、uh, pressure point to release stress. So, Josh, 
What do you think is going on? <laughs> I, I think that tree hugging, because of its, like, historically, this has been a term used to, I would say, sort of negatively describe people who are maybe a bit too in touch with nature, I think. Or at least it's not used in a complimentary way if you call someone a tree hugger. But actually, I think fundamentally what we're talking about here is how getting in touch with nature, quite literally in this sense, but still, you know, getting involved in nature can be really beneficial um, for mental health. Um, and the National Health Service in my own country has actually put out several initiatives that recognize the importance of going out into the nature and how it's good for mental health. I don't know if they directly have ever supported tree hugging and encouraged people to go out and touch trees. Um, often you're not supposed to do that, but uh, still, you know, I guess indirectly it sort of supports that, right? So yeah, uh, that's how I see all of this. I, I don't think that it's anything that weird at all, actually. I think that it's just linguistically, like semantically, it sounds a bit odd, right? It seems a bit strange, but it's just getting in touch with nature, right? Or is it more? I don't know. Yes, you should go hug a tree yourself and then tell us, report back. Well, I've okay. done this before. <laughs> <laughs> tell yep. your story. Oh, where do I start? Okay, so basically this was uh, a few years ago and I was on a trip, a very much needed trip because I was expecting experiencing some work burnout and stuff and anyhow I had this chance to go hug a tree that is older than 500 years and it was like an ancient and natural forest and this tree is so ginormous like 10 times bigger than how big I am and I'm, I think I'm quite big and also just super tall and I hugged the tree and uh, it's just as a busy city person you don't really often get those chances to really like quiet yourself and slow down and feel this existence of a being that is a few hundreds years old and then you breathe in and it was in a natural forest so there's this beautiful fragrance of nature and also hearing like birds chirping and just the leaves blow against the wind and everything. And it is such a calming experience. And, and the tranquility really was healing, I think, for someone who, um, you know, is, is, is used to the hustle and bustle of the city. So, so I think it's the whole package that makes you feel really good and possibly make you slow down in your soul to sort of take a minute kind of thing. And, and I think maybe that's what so many of us who are surviving in big cities feel that we need. Um, and speaking of tree therapy, apparently in Japan is where this originated. And uh, what were the sort of beginning thoughts that prompt people to engage in tree therapy? Yes, I think, um, as you said, people had already discovered the benefits uh, that tree hugging can really bring to human beings, I mean, decades ago, because tree therapy is also known as forest bathing, actually originated in Japan. And uh, it was first coined in 1982. 
as a quick fix or response to the fast-paced urban lifestyle or the growing disconnect between people and nature. And um, this practice mainly involves immersing yourself in a forest environment like you did and mindfully engaging with the natural surroundings to promote physical and mental well-being. It has gained popularity worldwide as a form of ecotherapy and tree hugging. In particular, um, it has become a symbol of embracing nature and also finding solace in its presence. Um, I think that makes sense because you know what you described Huiyang just now. I think it's a very healing scene for me because um, I think that's also what has been attracting people to hug trees or simply immerse themselves in forest because you know those places are always filled with fresh air and oxygen because trees can really produce this oxygen and uh, you know just being in that natural environment either it's a forest or garden or park with abundant trees just allows you to breathe in those fresh air which is much needed and um, that can also improve your well-being and a mental state i would say well actually tree hugging in particular i found that apparently interacting with trees by hugging them can enhance feelings of connection apparently um this is according to the international journal of environmental research and public health it found that spending time in forest environments touching trees and plants um, positively influences social cohesion, uh, interpersonal relationships, and emotional well-being. Um, yeah, of course, most of the benefits are psychological, but also there's a lot of physical benefits. Actively going out into the forest, for example, you're going to be walking, you're not going to be driving around. And so there's physical exercise here as well. I guess the act of hugging the tree isn't exactly a strenuous exercise, right? But still, if you're going to go there, then you're going to be have you're going to have to be moving about. You're going to have to be walking. So this is also a massive benefit of tree hugging. Yes, and also this is, in a way, a luxury that if you live in a big city, then this is a luxury because you need to find trees that are not fenced up. And the trees that I have in mind, they're in Tiantan. The Temple of Heaven, and those trees each got their own label, and they possibly have their own sponsors, and they're usually fenced up. I don't think I can get close to them. But if you live in a country that is rich with natural resources, well, to some extent, I think in England as well, um, where and, and and also New Zealand, and then anyways, or or maybe you just live off a natural forest in China, and then. That just becomes that something you can do every day. So really, I think it also, like um, Josh mentioned earlier, points to um, our relationship with nature. And maybe we're so closed off from nature because we live in these busy big cities. And sometimes we are looking for solutions of inner healing that nature certainly helps. Yeah, there's a ton of evidence to support this. Um, there's also something called relaxation response. Apparently spending time in nature, which includes hugging trees, can trigger something called the relaxation response in human bodies. And there's a study that I found published in the Journal of Environmental Health and Preventive Medicine. And these researchers found that forest bathing, which you guys have already uh, explained, um, significantly reduces stress hormone levels um, such as cortisol. Um, and this uh, also increases feelings of relaxation. 
um, for people who get involved with this. So there's just a ton of evidence to support that actually tree hugging, as strange as it may sound, actually um, can be very beneficial and is probably part of just just one exercise within a, a much greater exercise, which is, for example, forest bathing or just going out, um, breathing cleaner air, um, it, listening to more natural sounds as well, which also reduces stress, getting physical exercise, as I mentioned, having more social interaction, whether that be on your own, which can be very healthy, or if you do it with other people, having more intimate conversation, all of this can be great for reducing stress. I actually have a similar approach about handling stress, you know, very similar to tree hugging or immersing yourself in forest. And I find correlation between these two behaviors, actually, because when I feel really anxious, I tend to visit those ancient architecture in different cities, especially, um, you know, not only temples, I think we've already touched upon this subject before, but also like Buddha statues and temples, of course, and also ancient buildings. I feel like you also feel a sense of peace when you stand, you know, when you're looking at those uh, big, giant ancient architecture, you just feel you're connecting with the past and that mm. kind of feeling also help you relaxing. And um, I would also also recommend people to do a little bit meditation if they are really suffering from anxiety or, or some other kind of stress, maybe just to take 10 or 15 minute break on a daily basis or even like a week, um, just to have some deep breath and, uh, you know, just observe those thoughts in your mind and don't, you know, rush to clear those thoughts away. Just, uh, you know, allow them to come and go and just sit there and to have some relaxation time would also help to uh, relieve the stress and also help you to, you know, be back in a peaceful and relaxed uh, situation. Yeah, that sounds really nice. Yes. Note taken. And also, I suppose maybe there are other weirdos like myself um, who are big huggers. So I think hugging someone you love or you trust... um, is really nice chest to chest and sometimes it goes without saying a word but just have a deep heartfelt hug but in our culture it's kind of strange i think not a lot of people like that uh unless you know it's your 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 like partner or something like that so maybe i'll go just hug a tree instead coming up next let's have a moment of heart to heart You ask. We answer. Roundtable. Heart to heart. This week's heart to heart question comes in the form of an email. Here it goes. Hello there. This is Amy from Shanghai, a 10-year experienced HR who has been laid off in March and haven't been able to find a suitable job yet. When I first found out that I was sacked, I actually felt all right. I was confident that the next job would come quickly, but unexpectedly, the labor market is tough. My employment gap has exceeded four months. I'm kind of losing faith in myself and feel frustration and self-doubt. I'm struggling between lying down and self-motivation. I'm sorry for 
delivering such negative information, but I would really appreciate it if you could give me some encouragement. Thank you, Roundtable, for accompanying me during my gap and keep me updated with these interesting topics. A kind regards, Amy. Well, dear Amy, there's no need to apologize. And thank you so much for reaching out to us. And I understand it could be difficult formulating this email. Josh and Li Yi, uh, what do you have to say to Amy? Well, first of all, I would say it's it's challenging for anybody to experience a layoff, and especially you know as Amy said, I think she is a ten year experience to HR, and uh, that means she has been dedicating her efforts more than for one decade in her career. But you know, please remember that this small setback does not really define who you are or diminish the incredible skills and expertise you have developed over the years. I believe, as a ten-year experienced HR, you have gained a bunch of useful skills, and that's beyond career landscape. They can be also be used or beneficial to your personal development in the future. So don't feel frustrated, and. Um, I think this period may feel uncertain. I want to remind of you, you know, your incredible potential because your skills and experience are actually highly sought after in the job market. You just you just need more time to find your appropriate potential employer, and maybe just take this time to reflect on your career goals and aspirations. See what you really want in the future, and maybe you want a new job or. Or even you want a new career or、uh, a position in a new industry that can happen. You know that can all be happening in the future. It just depends on you. So try to reach out to your professional network. Just update your CV, and these are some practical things you can do right now. In the meantime, remember it's just a temporary setback. I think、um, spend some time for growth,、uh, self-reflection, and personal development, and also take good care of yourself. I think you should be happy. You know, stay motivated all the time, and and lift your spirits up, and maybe talk to someone you believe in, you trust, and reach out to your families. Close to friends,、um, just to、uh, you know, stay positive and remain focused. And、uh, I think your、uh, skills and your personality, you know, all the good sides of you will eventually lead to、uh, your new goals. Yeah, I I think everything that you said was was great, and I think there's also some practical things that you can do. I guess that we've spoken about the motivational part, which I think is really important. But I think there's some practical things you can do. I mean, there must have been something that you've been doing in this free time as well.、Um, if there was, maybe you can highlight this. You can think about how you can make that. You can explain that. I mean, maybe you took time to take care of somebody, or you invested in some. Unpaid work. I don't know what it is, but if you did do that, then I think that it's really great to highlight that, and you can actually work with a professional to make your resume look better as well.、Um, and also, there's other things that you can do, like remove a position as well. I think sometimes、um, there's a lot of things you can do with a resume actually to make it look better.、Um, for example, if you have some part-time gigs or Um, you have some jobs that have been for quite a short period of time. I think there's a general rule of thumb where, it, if it's less than three months, you can remove it. If not, and you're still in this time, then and you're really serious about your career, I think another thing you can do is 
invest in some professional development. Um, and what I mean by that is you can uh, maybe find some low cost or free training opportunities. You could take a look at like Skillshare or um, Coursera, and maybe you can learn a new skill that's related to your career. And you can talk about that on your resume or in your interview. Um, but maybe don't go in empty handed. And also you can speak to a professional. There's a lot of advice online. There's a lot of people that can probably help you reshuffle your resume. I wouldn't say that it's dishonest at all. I think that's just the way that the world works, but you can reshuffle it, rethink it. And I'm sure that your application for your next job can still be really strong. Yes. And I know it's difficult to always stay motivated and I don't think any of us can. So it's perfectly okay to sort of take a pause and sometimes maybe let yourself just feel free of feeling all the emotions. And that's just part of the process. But uh, maybe avoid beating ourselves up because just look at the world. Many people around the world have lost their jobs or sources of income as a result of economic uncertainty, the global pandemic, and other reasons beyond our control. And if it's beyond our control, it's not our fault. So free ourselves from that feeling of guilt or whatever it is, um, just that maybe you're not leading the lifestyle or the pattern that most people you think are leading, that's perfectly okay. I think in today's society, we are at a point that we must allow ourselves to explore what's best for you. And I know it takes courage and it takes sometimes a kind of emotional independence to go against the grain when everybody else seems to do things a certain way. And trust me, that is often an illusion because we think other people are leading a certain kind of life when maybe that only exists on social media. In reality, it is completely different and it it might be quite bleak sometimes. So um, I guess there's a lot of this mental wrestling that uh, is tough for everyone, but we all have to go through it. And yeah, I, I think um, maybe this could be related to the tree hugging topic that usually when you're in between jobs and you really want to land another job, there's stress that comes from it. So please take care of yourself and um, find ways that can relieve your stress. I think that could start with um, having a regular daily routine that you set for yourself, even if, well, look at this. Now you are, you have complete ownership of your time. So make good use of it. And uh, also, I like to echo what Josh and Lee uh, touched upon earlier about enriching your life experience. Did you guys say anything about that? Well, certainly it will enrich your CV. And um, you've spent some time listening to Roundtable. And I suppose after all that time spent with us, your English proficiency possibly has improved. You know, that's one more thing to add to your CV and uh, your work skills as well as life experience or appreciation of another language and culture or, or whatnot. So some people have taken this time in between jobs to um, learn another skill or realize one of the interests you have, but you didn't 
you still have the time to really pursue it. Um, in life, you can only influence so many things, like how much grace you allow yourself and when to ask for help. And that job offer might not come when you want it, but it'll come soon enough. If you like what you hear, please send us your question or comment to ezfmroundtable at foxmail.com. Good luck, Amy. In Shanghai, and that brings us to the end of today's show. Thank you so much, Li Yi and Josh, for joining the discussion. I'm He Yang. We'll see you next time.